A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to El Telejohn's La Liga Weekly. Both of the big two drop points, but Real Madrid saved themselves late at Mestalla. Who needs Andy Carroll when you've got Thibaut Courtois? <laughs> so it's all square going into El Clasico. Barca were held as well. Antoine Griezmann scored at Anoeta and almost celebrated, although maybe his reluctance was for health and safety reasons all along. Reports are coming in that Real Sociedad have sacked their celebrations coach after Nacho Monreal's injury. Sevilla stumble <laughs> again. Hatafe don't. Again, Atleti open up and their fans share their feelings with Thomas Lamar. We had thumping headers from Morata, from Darwin, Matisse and Rafinha. And isn't it heartwarming that all of the qualifiers from the last 16 of the Champions League come from just five countries? Who wants all of those so-called champions from European <laughs> leagues clogging up our traditional Champions League? <laughs> ah, Terry Gibson is with us, as you can hear. He has watched... 900 minutes plus added time of La Liga football this weekend. That is every single minute. He hasn't missed anything that is in the region of 280 players and it includes Athletic Bilbao nil, Eibar nil. For that alone, he needs a medal. Right. It's actually right. my, my third week on the trot, not missing anything. So I'm in the, I'm in the groove at the moment. And, and the weird thing is, if we just divert from the podcast is... Now I feel like I'm on a run and I can't stop. So I need to, I need some counselling. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Start watching old reruns of Deportivo? <laughs> Just get you through to the Classico. <laughs> so in all that, in all of that football that you watched, then Terry, there was surely nothing more dramatic than Thibaut Courtois. Uh, going up for that header. What a, what a thumping header it saved. And then Benzema scrambles it in. Uh, yeah, high drama. Real fun, wasn't it, at Mestalla? It was. Uh, it took a while to get going. I thought that the tactics from Valencia at the start of the game were, were pretty dismal, to be honest. And they appeared to concede that they were playing against a better team. They were happy to concede possession. And for the first 25, 30 minutes of the game, it appeared inevitable that Real Madrid were going to open the scoring. But slowly but surely, Valencia found a way to get back into the game. I'm not sure whether the tactics from Saladis were to sit deep. All I could see from him from the touchline was emerging his team to, to get up the pitch a touch and to try. They had no out ball. They weren't playing any football in the attacking half of the pitch. I kind of felt he didn't have Gamero, no Maxi Gomez. So he was hampered a bit in terms of the attacking lineup. Gonzalo Guedes is missing, of course. And they did have the tougher of the games midweek in the Champions League where everything was riding on their game. We must congratulate them on a fantastic victory at Ajax to, to go through to the knockout stages. Um, Real Madrid were able to rest some players. So it was it was always going to be a tough game for Valencia at home. But slowly but surely, that they got themselves a foothold in the game and then it became more competitive and then it became a much better in terms of a spectacle and of course had a dramatic ending just when you thought all eyes were fixed on Ramos who played the last 10 minutes up front hmm. it's a classic situation for him to be involved somewhere in the thick of the action but it was Courtois who comes up with the header um, it won't be an assist because that goes down to Ezekiel Garay who decided to back it away back across the six-yard box in <laughs> sheer panic. I can only imagine that's the only conclusion to take, that he just panicked and back it into the path of Benzema to lash it home from close range. The last kick of the game, it was dramatic. Um, I'm pretty, I know we're going to be talking about Barcelona, but I think in this game, Real Madrid played pretty well. There wasn't too much to... Criticise them about, no hazards, which hampers them, no Casemiro, which makes them slightly different. Um, and weirdly, I think Gareth Bell being on the bench still. Uh, sorry, when you say weirdly, weird, weirdly that he's still on the bench or that it 
Yeah, I think no. Yeah, I think it. I think it, they're better with him in the team, particularly if yeah, yeah. Hazard's not there. Um, and he was rested for the game midweek against Bruges, and everyone assumed he would be playing today, but he, he was on the bench again. So it's hard to get to the bottom of what his physical state is like. Um, a niggly injury comes back, niggly injury, and we, we, it's never clear whether he's fit and able or. Um, they're being cautious with him, so it's going to be interesting. I, I, my guess will be that he'll play, he'll start in the Classico. Um, if Hazard's not, if Hazard isn't fit, um, then I think they're, they're, they're our better team currently with Gareth Bell starting. Uh, so he left out Casemiro, as you say, more responsibility therefore on Valverde. How did that work out? I thought it worked out pretty well. I mean, you, if they'd have got beat and conceded two or three goals, then we could have said that it was an issue for Real Madrid. But I think in general, he wasn't, I guess he was the designated holding midfield player, but they shared it. It was one of those where three intelligent footballers, if one had the opportunity to break forward or two, then the the third one would stay in the the slightly deeper role. Um, But you saw throughout the game, Modric stopped, dropped deep. He was the player that was instigating attacks from getting the ball for Ramos and Varane, likewise Tony Kroos. So it was quite a fluent midfield trio, which gives another option to Zidane that, you know, that they don't necessarily have to use the one and the only holding, designated holding midfielder that they have. So I think it was, it was, I think it worked okay. It was fine. I didn't think it was an issue at all that Casemiro wasn't playing. He left, he was left out because of the suspensions. If he picked up a yellow card, he would therefore miss the Classico, where you definitely need a holding midfield player to play away from home um, against Barcelona. I think we'll have a chat about the Classico later, shall we? We'll, we'll sort of give ourselves a couple of minutes to uh, to preview that. So Champions League, as you say, credit to Valencia for going through. I mentioned it there, obviously being uh, sarcastic about the, the big five leagues dominating there. Do you have a problem? Some people don't, because I, I took that on Twitter that, I've got an issue that the, the the money in the Champions League is just focusing all the power in a very small number of hands, and then because what, what you've got the, the, those five leagues are dominating, and I know you know Shakhtar are usually decent, Ajax usually have been decent, you know certainly very good last year. Occasionally, uh, yeah, last season, yeah, not, not, yeah. So not it's not consistent. You're absolutely right, yeah. And then what you've got then is you've got a whole load of European leagues where a single team is dominating. I mean, people slug off the Spanish league because two teams plus a bit of Atleti uh, dominate. But across Europe, there are leagues where the same team just wins the league and, and has won it for year after year after year in recent in recent years because the, the European money that they're getting just becomes to dominate the league. And it's just, I, I like competition. I, I admire, I mean, the American sports go out of their way, don't they, to, to make sure that there is an element of competition remains, whereas in football, we're in danger of just uh, allowing it all just to pool in a very small number of clubs and then it's sort of pushing you towards a European Super League that I don't think people want. No, I think that the other issue as well is is we have to bear in mind that there are probably the, the clubs you're talking about talking really seriously about a, a breakaway competition. Yeah. Or developing the Champions League into another competition where they're playing 20, 20 odd games a season in a league where you don't play home and away, and it's it's, and that would generate even more money from them. My my issue now is, I think with our experience as well, with La Liga, um, being on Sky for all those years, changing to Eleven Sports, a little bit on ITV, and now Premier Sports and La Liga TV is is now going to be available in the UK. It's. I think people are looking at the whole spectrum in, in terms of TV rights deals. And my opinion is I think it's only going to go away and that's going to go down because I think that people are it, long gone of the days where when Sky would do it, pretty much had everything, didn't they? Sky was the only mm. satellite um, broadcaster. Um, if you wanted to watch any football, it was all there on Sky. And now you're looking and 
that price has gone up. Now there's BT, then there's Amazon. I'm sure if this Europa League, new European Football Club Championship, World Club Cup, whatever it's going to be called, um, if that happens, then who's going to bid for the rights for that? How much is that going to cost? Is there going to be another subscription? I'm pretty sure there would be. Uh, whoever gets it, it'll be a pay-per-view issue. And then and I, I just think we're getting to the time now where people are saying, do you know what, I, I, do I really need to pay X amount of pounds to watch every single game? And, and I think people in general want to pay for what they want to watch. Um, and do, and, and do that would clubs... be a lot cheaper than locking people into contracts for year at a time, big, huge monthly payments. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And, and do the clubs need to wring every last pound or euro or dollar out of the because it's out of the consumer ultimately, isn't it? It's, it's you know it's it's the punter who pays ultimately, as you say, and and you would imagine there'll come a day at which people will start saying actually no, thank you. Um, but they they just I don't know it just seems very short term for those clubs because you're right they threaten UEFA, which is why UEFA uh, of a rate which is why there are four teams from the champ from Spain and England. You know all seven clubs from England and Spain are through. Uh, which is just showing how how strong they've become. And, and you know, Hetafe, credit to Hetafe. Um, let's get back to La Liga. They won again this weekend, didn't they? Seven unbeaten in La Liga, five straight wins in all competitions. Hugely impressive. But that is Hetafe. And, you know, they're, they're you know, str- very strong. I, I know Bod Last done a brilliant job, so it's a bit of a quirky uh, club to, to compare. But um, it just, it's, it's, it's a little sign of how strong uh, the Spanish league is, as, and and the English league. I know that's the eternal debate. Don't want to do that at the moment, but um, you know they're they're all just looking very strong at the moment. These the, the Spanish clubs, aren't they? In in compared to a lot of the the smaller leagues, Espanol qualified as well, which is yeah, ridiculous. Um, yeah. I'm looking into the differences between the team that plays in the Europa League. I think there are significant ones. I suddenly realised that Iteraspi is at Espanol, who appeared as a sub against Betis. Um, for his first minutes this season in La Liga and he's been playing in the Europa League games and they've been winning. So make of that what you want, I don't know. There's probably, like Sevilla, have got an A and a B team, um, but they've been doing okay in both competitions. Espanyol have had a team that's been playing in Europe and winning, a team in La Liga that's been losing. Is a thought. <laughs> Swap them over. You might, <laughs> you might survive. But going back to Hetafe. Uh, it's it is remarkable what they've done. They're in fourth position. They finished sixth last season. In the last seven La Liga games, they've won five and drawn two. And you know when you you, you see them, uh, the game against Fiat, it is they played four four two. It was a variation. They didn't match up. Hatafe still played full backs in both wide midfield positions. I think it's fair to still call Kukurea a left back who plays in left midfield. Um, because for most teams, that's the job he would be playing. Left back, pushing on, attacking. Um, and if you don't match them, that it, we, it's hard to match them. That's the problem. So you have to come up with something different or try your very best to match them. Vitalid did the same setup, same system, 4-4-2, and got outpowered. And Hatafe, they're experienced. There's no room for young players. They're... They grind out teams in the first 20, 30 minutes of the game. And, and they just, they, they, how, their success is absolutely phenomenal. When you look at the players, he brought three subs on today, all over the age of 30. There's a number of 30-year-olds plus starting the game. Jorge Molina is 37. He's still playing up front. Jaime Mata is 30. Angel comes on. He's 30-something. And Tunis came back from injury today. He's over 30. It's 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 a, a solid setup um, that's serving Bordelas, the team, well. And, and do you know what? Even the Coliseum, it was an early kickoff today, and it looked it looked decent. It was a decent crowd in there. It didn't look soulless like it did four or five years ago. Uh, how good is Kukurea? Lots of Barca fans are always keen to know whether whether he's going to be good enough to go and play regularly at the camp now. Well, I think looking at his form since we've seen him alone and Eibar and now at Hatafe, uh, when you look at the the purchase of Junior Firpo, who hasn't been a success, surprisingly, um, perhaps at the moment he's just a player that's a little bit intimidated by being the replacement for Jordi Alba, perhaps he's intimidated by playing alongside Messi and Co. 
Um, but his form hasn't been good. It hasn't replicated the form we saw at Betis. If you're asking me now which one of the two would you take, I clearly would have kept Kukurea. It wouldn't have cost them anything. Um, they didn't sell him for a huge sum of money um, instead of paying out money on, on Junior Firpo. But that, that's easy in hindsight at this moment. Perhaps it'll change in a few months and Firpo will come good. But Kukurea playing that left side midfield role, he's aggressive, he's dynamic, he doesn't stop working, he fits into Hatafe's team perfectly well. Um, I'm assuming he's, he certainly is one of the younger players in, in the, the Hatafe team and he's, 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 a, good, he's a good player. Um, whether he was good enough to ever replace Jordi Alba long term, I don't know because we don't see him play left back anymore. He plays left side midfield, but I could see the attraction to a team that wanted a um, attacking fullback as opposed to him being attracted to teams that want a industrious left side midfield player in a four four two. Uh, right, and so we talked about Barca. Sorry about Real Madrid dropping points. Let's talk about Barcelona uh, dropping points as well. Uh, decent game against Real Sociedad. Decent point, really, isn't it? I mean, it's always regarded as a bit of a crisis when Barcelona uh, drop points. But Real Sociedad are a, a good team this season. Um, was it an iffy penalty, or were you happy with it? So they got the penalty uh, for a shirt pulled by Busquets, wasn't it? And Ayatabal uh, stuck it away. Um, and then uh, let me tell you what happened. And then Griezmann. Scored obviously at Anoeta, sort of did a half celebration, didn't he? he sort of didn't, yeah. and then the players came and grabbed him and everything. Uh, then Suarez scored, and then uh, at the end, Isaac got one at the end as well. So that was 2 2. So, uh, yeah, so rewind on that question, Terry. Was it a penalty? Yes, and but I think Barcelona should have one at the end as well, purely based right, okay. on the fact that if you're pulling jerseys in the penalty area and you decide to give a penalty. I know there's an issue with, I think the referee gave the first one and they didn't want to overturn his decision. The referee didn't give the one in the last minute on PK um, and therefore VAR didn't think it was a, a, a clear, outrageous error. So they VAR looked at it, didn't want to overrule the referee. Um, but I thought both were, were very, very similar. You could have decided... on the, in most matches, neither of them would be given as a penalty. But I think in the same match, if you punish one team and then don't punish the other team for pretty much the, the, the same offence, then I think that's where the it, the issue becomes controversial. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the contradictory cry that we've always had about match officials from people in the game is always, uh, we want consistency and we want common sense. Uh, my point has always been that those two things are, in fact, contra- they're, they're incompatible. Because if you want the same decision made every time, you're essentially saying to the officials that we're not going to allow you to to use your use your judgment a little bit. Uh, and in, in a sense, what VAR has, off, has done to some degree is taken away the officials' uh, match management because it goes off to, to somewhere else to, to make a yeah. call. So would you advocate that the VAR... Or is it purely the referee? Is the referee the only one who sets the bar? Is, is he the only one who's thinking, right, I gave a yellow card for that, roughly that sort of challenge, so I've got to stick with it? Or can the VAR come in and say, to be honest, mate, you gave a penalty for something similar at the other end, you should give a penalty? Difficult question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, as I said, the, the explanation was the referee gave the first one and VAR yeah. didn't want to overturn it. The fact he yeah. didn't give the second one, they meant they didn't really want to get involved. But I think they should have done. I think yeah. that the, the the two two situations were were identical. They're both hard to see to the naked eye when the ball comes into a crowded penalty area and people are falling about and being you know physically tussling and challenging each other. But when you see it in slow motion, there's a, a, a pull by Busquets and I think it was it was a pull by Busquets on Diego Renzi, wasn't it? I can't mm. remember which Real Sociedad player pulled PK at the far post, but you saw. One particular camera angle, which was really clear, PK shirt being pulled as he was attempting to reach the ball. So I thought then when I saw that the shirt being pulled like that, I thought oh, it's going to be given because the other one did. Um, but that wasn't the case. But in general, I thought well, Barcelona again, I, I don't know what the supporters think of this performance. I thought they were really poor again. Um, totally uninspiring. And Raul Sociedad had more possession. And it's just a, you know, when you see Barcelona play at home as we do, and how fantastic they have been at home, I, I don't see the, the the same level of performance in their away matches. I know it's a tough game, 
Um, but the, it was the nature of the game as opposed to the result. If Barcelona had played well and got a 2-2 draw in similar fashion to Real Madrid, you could argue at Valencia, then you would say, as you rightly said, that's a decent point. But Barcelona didn't play anywhere near their best. Um, and the, the lack of possession is a problem because it means that PK had one of the most stressful afternoons I've ever seen him have in terms of defensive duties, last-ditch tackles, chasing back in the channel. Isaac playing instead of William Jose gave that, that little bit more energy and pace up front, which really troubled PK and Longley. Um, because Barcelona don't have as much possession anymore, Busquets is chasing around all over the pitch, trying to win the ball back. And the last thing that... that damages Barcelona, and this is me being critical of the, the I was going to say front three, but it's Messi and Suarez, it's just the two, is that they barely closed the ball down anymore. So if you're Busquets, you used to play in a team where the three forwards were the first line of defence. You also played in a team that had 70 to 80% possession. So therefore, primarily your main job was positional play, winning the odds ball back, but starting all the attacking plays off from the two central defenders. So now if you're Busquets, you've got no attacking defensive line, no pressure on the ball, and therefore your team then have a share of the possession. Yesterday it was less than 50%. The whole game is, is it's a massive game changer for Barcelona. So I don't know how they're going to resolve it. I don't know how suddenly you're going to get 32-year-old Messi and 32-year-old Suarez. I, I'm not suggesting for one minute they should be tracking back like Griezmann does on that left side. He does it. But I'm not suggesting they do that. But I'm suggesting that in tough games like Raul Sociedad, they need to start being coached as a front three in how to do it and how to win the ball back sharply, quickly, without chasing 60, 70 yards. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there needs to be an element of, you know, switching on when you're out of possession and making it a little bit difficult for defenders to play the ball into midfield and then midfield straight into the attack, which means it's stressing out Busquets, it's stressing out PK and Longley. Um, so that's, I thought it was a, a dismal performance from Barcelona against Real Sociedad. Interesting. So how, how fundamental is this? So we get into the stage where you, you might be saying that Busquets and Messi and Suarez can't play in difficult away games. And also, uh, bear in mind that lots of away games in La Liga are difficult, aren't they? Because there are lots of good teams, as we saw when, you know, as we've seen this season, like Levante, for example. Um, no, I think you, they could do Are it. you going that far that they need... No, an alter, I suppose no. Rakitic is old as well, isn't he? And, and so yeah. do, do they need more legs or is there a way, is there a way around this? No, there's a way around it. It needs strong management, which I've been harping on for a while now. So, now, so, I know you've got to be so strong to get into Messi and say, look, show him, because he'll do it against Real Madrid. Right, I say, yeah. I guarantee yeah. you, Messi and Suarez against Real Madrid will be lively as anything. They're lively in home games. It just, sometimes it's, you see that the Real Sociedad just playing the ball around at the back and they just pass through Messi and Suarez. And and the big issue is, there's no platform to start. Messi's on the left, um, Griezmann is on the left, he keeps his position. Suarez is in the centre of attack. Messi can be anywhere, which Barcelona want. When they've got the ball, they want Messi to be somewhere where he can't be picked up, where he finds little bits of space. But when you haven't got the ball, when you're out of possession, it still needs a frame to work on, which is what they've they've done over the last 10 years. Whether Messi was playing on the right, whether he was playing up front, in the middle, it's always had a framework to work. I'm not suggesting they do it every single time the back four, the, the two central defenders or the goalkeeper wants to play the ball out. But if you've got a frame that you say to Messi or to, you say to Messi and Suarez, whichever one of you, let's have a front three. So when we lose possession of the ball, if Messi's in the middle, Suarez go to the right, Griezmann stay on the left and we try it and it's a 10, 15 yard sprint maximum. And it, it's, it's not a whole lot of work that's needed to make them teams harder to just pass the ball into midfield and then Barcelona midfield are running around and the ball gets played into the, the attack. It's, it's far too easy to get at Barcelona. And and the sheer fact that Real Sociedad had more possession, do you know what? It's not even a surprise anymore. I remember it was like people were writing books about four years mm-hmm. ago 
when Rio Vallecano had more possession than Barcelona in a period of the game. Was it 90 minutes or was it just a period? Yeah, uh, it was I think 90 minutes. it was 90 minutes. The minutes. first time in years hadn't it, that the team had outpossessed. It was 5-0 to Barcelona. But it, it, yeah, and about 52% <laughs> as well, wasn't it? For, yeah. But uh, do you remember, it was like, it, was, mm, it made oh, headline yeah, yeah. news. Now yeah. we're looking at Barcelona and it's 50-50. They might have more possession some weeks. Now, position, possession isn't the be-all and end-all, but it is, I think, for Barcelona. It was their way of defending. You know, if, yeah. if you've got the ball for 75% of the game, that's only 25% you're defending. Out of that 25%, probably 25% of that is the centre-backs chasing back towards their own goal. So you, you take that in, in general... Now it's it's a lot more. PK looked absolutely knackered yesterday in the first half, let alone the second half. Every time you saw him, he was chasing back to goal. He was making slide tackles. He played really well, but every time he got up, he looked about five years older than, than what he is. So it, it needs strong management. It, it needs someone to, to explain, to show the players. You don't want to hamper Messi's ability to find space, get on the ball. I mean, because they, they don't have loads of possession now, they go from back to front quickly. It goes into Suarez, who gives it away eight times out of ten. Doesn't hold the ball up at all. So then the ball comes straight back again. So they're little things. I was looking at yesterday, I was thinking, because they don't have a bundle of possession now, when they do decide to go from back to front, they try and hit it towards Suarez with decent service, I have to say. And it, it comes off him. He gets knocked over. He gets pushed to the side. Centre-backs win the ball comfortably. And then Barcelona haven't got possession. They've got to try and get the ball back. And it just it's, it's a whole new ball game for Barcelona at the moment. So I, I actually, when I looked at it yesterday, they're be- better off if they're going to go back to front, go diagonal to Griezmann because he literally, he won more headers than Suarez yesterday from that left-wing position. And he held the ball up better. Um Unfortunately for him and Barcelona, when he won the headers and it went to the centre of the pitch, Suarez wasn't switched on and possession was turned over again. Now, the, the biggest problem for Barcelona is I, if I had to pick a striker to finish a chance off to save my life, it would mm. probably be Luis Suarez. Yeah. So that's the dilemma. So it needs a strong it needs strong management to, to show the players they want to win stuff. You know, they want to win league titles, more league titles. They want to win the Champions League back again. It's not hard to convince them. They just, sometimes you need to prove to players, if you just do this, switch on quickly. If you do this 10 yards run, sprint. If you threaten, which there is a way of strikers can threaten, uh, I don't say physically threaten, threaten in terms of a goalkeeper's playing the ball out and the centre-backs are split. The two strikers can sort of position themselves in the middle equal distance away as if to say go on then play it to him and I'm going to get there quickly and shut him down and more often than not players goalkeepers defenders will look up and think I won't do that I'll go long that's all you need to do sometimes but with Barcelona look at Suarez and Messi when the goalkeeper gets the ball out sometimes they're walking with their backs turned and goalkeepers Um, are playing the ball out to the centre-backs and then the centre-back into the full-back who's pushed on um it's going to be always going to be an issue for whoever plays right back for Barcelona because no one plays in front of him. So it's so easy to get out from the back to midfield or back from the back into wide positions, get crosses into the box, and it makes life a whole lot more difficult for the the other of the 30s in the Barcelona team in, in midfield and in defence. Uh, shall we have a quick chat about the classical before we take a break then, whilst, whilst, whilst we're yeah. here? So... Um... It's so obviously at the Camp News on Wednesday night. What will the approaches be? Fingers will... crossed. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, yeah. there's been no... Well, anyway, it'll... I'm sure it'll happen. Um, yeah, so what, what will the approaches be? Will we see Real Madrid trying to take the game in that furious manner that Barcelona struggle with? Or will they be sitting back? Will Barcelona be doing the, the running? Will they be on the front foot? How, how, how can you see it going? I think Barcelona will be on the front foot, but I also see Real Madrid and, and Zidane not being a team that wants to sit back. So I'm hopeful um, that it's going to be an, an attacking game with, with both teams looking to win. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a Real Madrid team with Zidane as coach park the bus 
mm. sit back in and wait. It may have been beneficial when they had Ronaldo and they could play counter-attacking football, which was a real strength. Um, it may have been beneficial if Hazard was fit. Um, but, I, I, you know, Ronaldo's not about anymore. Hazard is injured. Um, it'll be interesting to see what system Zidane employs. Valverde's made a real big case for getting the team starting big matches. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to see him maybe pack the midfield slightly more and play with Benzema and Bale up front and play right, okay. four midfield, all four midfield players. Yeah. Um, just to, to keep it nice and solid. So you've got Casemiro holding and then you have Valverde, Modric and Kroos in front with Benzema and Bale playing up, up front. Um, maybe splitting the centre-backs, playing in sort of slightly, you could play them slightly wider positions, um, not straight down the middle, where they threaten the space in behind the Barcelona full-backs who obviously are going to be you know, pushing on into attack. Big bonus for Barcelona that Jordi Alba was fit. I think he lasted about 70 minutes yesterday and was replaced. Um, so that's a big bonus. He's, I think we, he's one of those players that, when he's missing for a few weeks, you suddenly go, you know, that's a big chunk of Barcelona's play missing um, that Junior Firpo wasn't able to replicate. So it's, um, no, I think it's going to be both teams all out attack. Um, maybe Real Madrid being a little bit conservative, but it's not in their nature. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a game to look forward to. Uh, do you want to predict a winner? Or is that, I'm just asking for trouble doing that. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, no, I mean, no, yeah, of course it's asking for trouble, but it's what we're here for. I would probably, <laughs> I'm, I, it would probably be something. I think it's be a relatively high-scoring game. So, I, if I was going to go for a winner, it would probably be Barcelona because of their home form. Mm. Um, but I would, I would possibly be surprised to see something like three-two, um, a two-two draw wouldn't be a massive surprise to me. Um, so I think that the way both teams are going into the game, in general, you'd say Real Madrid are in better form. But at home, Barcelona have been impeccable. So it's it's a really tough one to call. It's how it should be. And the fact they're both level on points going into this game, does it, that means there isn't a clear winner. Previous seasons, we've had, you know, Barcelona have been running away with it. Last season at the Clasico at the Bern, at the New camp, we had no Messi. Suarez stepped up and scored a hat-trick. Um, I, I think that the, the two teams are closer this season than it has been for a while now. Cool. Right. It's, it's one to look forward to, but we've still got to look back at the rest of the games in La Liga. Some terrific goals and some exciting football as well. That will be with you after a short break. You've counted down the seconds. Now make every second count for you. University of Maryland Global Campus will help you wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to a new year where you take the next step in your education. Whether you want to study business, cybersecurity, healthcare, or IT, University of Maryland Global Campus can help. Apply by January 31st and we'll waive your application fee. Learn online. Visit umgc.edu. That's umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change, like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mmm. I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. So welcome back to El Telejohn's La Liga Weekly Real Hadn't won a game in six and then they went to Sevilla and they won against Sevilla who have hit the buffers a little bit. We discussed them last week. They had a dead rubber in the Europa League on Thursday night that they lost. And then um, they were bested by Villarreal, Terry. Is it worrying times for Sevilla? I wouldn't say worrying. I think mm. if you're legging as an Espanol, it's worrying times and <laughs> maybe yeah. Celta Vigo. But for Sevilla, not, I wouldn't say worrying. It would be a concern. I've said in recent podcasts, they sacrificed performance for results. 
and I think we're now seeing a result of that. Yeah. Does yeah. that sound right? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're yeah. grinding at one new wins. They're hanging on for dear life. They were a little bit negative in, in two or three of the games we've, we've watched recently. And this, it's the same old problems. Pretty solid at the back, but I don't know why Lopetegui changed. Kunde had a really good partnership with Diego Carlos. Don't know why he changed him, brought Carrizo back in and left Kunde on the bench. So that made it slightly different at the back for Sevilla. Um, and the biggest problem is sticking the ball away at the, at the other end. Um, they had a, a ridiculous amount of crosses into the box today, which Villarreal defended really comfortably, um, apart from the cutback to Munir for one of the goals of the weekend. Um, but every time, when you watch Sevilla, when they get the ball wide and they cross it into the box, I look at it and I think it's going to be headed clear, that's going to be headed clear, that's going to be headed clear. And they just don't get enough attacking players into the penalty area. Certain players underperformed. I thought Banega was poor. I thought Franco Vasquez, who's been crying out for a regular starting spot, didn't make the most of his opportunity. Oliver Torres was poor. So it was a below-par performance from Sevilla. Don't take anything away from Villarreal. We were a, a strange team in the fact that, you know, them and, and Celta Vigo, my two picks, were being strange again this season because you look at the individual players that they've got and, you you, you know, Celta in particular struggling. But Villarreal... They should be doing better. I mean, their 13th position in, in La Liga, they had a decent start to the season, this dreadful run. Um, but when you look at their players, they should be doing better. Going into that game today, everybody had Sevilla's favourites. But you look at the two teams, they shouldn't have been, they shouldn't be massive favourites with those two starting 11s. Um, but it's purely, purely down to the fact that Sevilla have found the recipe for winning matches. Villarreal, Villarreal haven't. Um, but it wasn't a massive surprise to me today to see that if Villarreal played half decent, it's a, a really good game. It was a really good game. Um, I mean, but it's, it's always an attractive fixture. It turned out to be a really good game. And I think Villarreal just shaded it in the end. Uh, I'm going to say something sacrilegious, Terry. It's like it's like slagging off the Queen, this. But uh, are Villarreal <laughs> better off without Santi Cazorla in the starting eleven? <laughs> oh, <John>. <laughs> sorry, sorry, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. But <laughs> uh, no, I, not at the moment. I, I, yeah. I can see the point you're making because Trigueros is good. And we kind of forgotten he was he's a decent player. Yeah. Where would you put, because you could bring Cazorla in um, for one of the wider players. <clears throat> so he could come in for Moy Gomez, perhaps. Um I know what you're saying, but I, I, I can't see what the criticism of Santa Cazorla is, which would therefore make him a liability to the, the starting team. So I think, it, I'm not saying he's a must for every single game and he's going to stay there for the rest of, rest of his life, but hmm. I think they are, yeah, I think they need still need Santa Cazorla back in. I can't believe you've said that, John. <laughs> the, the stick you're going to get on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like one of these controversial radio DJs. Listen to me go. Uh, Pete says... Uh, Next thing you'll be saying, Joaquin needs to be left out. <laughs> uh, Pete says, good to see Trigueros back in the side. So, Barbie, he doesn't mention Cathola, but, you know, they're between the lines there, Pete. Now, he says, does Ontiveros deserve more starts? It's tough because Moigames has been good and Chukwesi has, has been good. As I said, you could place... Um, Cazorla slightly wider. Akambi was on the bench today. That's tough on him as well. He, t- he scored the winner today and he's a player that's reliable and, and you know, he's a dynamic striker. Um, Kayeka changes his formation from week to week. Um, sometimes it's two up front, 4-4-2, narrow midfield. Sometimes it's a diamond. So, yeah, no, Trigueros is, is one of those that you, you can't, not forgot about, but you wondered... Why Kayeka had sort of bend him a bit um, in favour of going with Vibora and, and Guisa in midfield, for instance. Um, in the past, Villarreal probably haven't had a double pivot of two muscular midfield players. So it, they've, they've got options. That's the good thing from Kayeka. He's got options. He's just so far this season, he hasn't made the most of them. Mm. Uh, right, Atletico won by a whole two, count them, two goals to nil against Osasuna Morata with one of the thumping headers that we had this week and Saul uh, Niguez with a goal. So, I mean, it threatened to, to look like 
same old Atleti, but they, they got there in the end. Um, so do you want to talk about that or do you want to talk to me about Thomas Lamar and the, the booing that he's got? If you were an Atleti fan, I mean, you're such a nice man, you wouldn't go around booing people, but can you understand their frustration with the guy that paid 70 million euros for? I, I kind of do, but I understand his situation as well, where mm. he's, he's going to be one of those players that, and we must make a list um, with the help of our listeners of players whose careers have suffered through not being in favour with Simeone. I know yeah, Atletico yeah. supporters will probably say he's had opportunities, but has he re- really had the 100% backing of Simeone? I don't think he has. So therefore, that then that the longer that goes on, the harder it becomes. You get a game every three or four matches. You're not your sharpest. You're not match sharp, and you you might suffer. Um, and then you can kind of understand why the supporters who are watching the team that are finding it hard to score goals. He was allegedly going to be one of these players that would make Atletico slightly different. It hasn't worked out. Um, but I always I always think it's tough when you know you supporters decide to turn on on their own players and again Atletico they were really good I mean Giel Felix is an absolute joy to watch I mean he's going to potentially be one of the best players in the world um, he needs to add goals to his game um, it took Morata until the 68th minute to score pretty much the goal scoring responsibility falls on his shoulders um, and then Sal got another one seven minutes later and it eventually looks a comfortable victory, but it was it was anything but. Osasuna had their good spells in the game. They had good attacks. Um, Oblak was forced into a couple of good saves until Morata gets the first goal. Yes, Atletico were, were a better team, um, but you did wonder if Osasuna were going to be able to hold on for the full 90 minutes. But from Athletic, Atletico's point of view, it was, it was a, a, a good solid result and they'd be pleased to have Morata back on the score sheet. Right then, let's have a look at, uh, there's lots of score draws, remember the old... Uh, I've got two football? home wins this whole round of fixtures. Yeah, yeah. Um, six, six, six draws and, and two away victories. Remember so, the, the, the innocent days of the football pools, Terry, when people bet 10p yeah. on football. It's not, <laughs> it's not like that anymore, is it? <laughs> no. uh, there, there will have been people watching uh, Celta Vigo versus Mallorca with, with money riding on it, and uh, that was a 2-2 draw. Uh Proper old ding-dong game, wasn't it? A couple of penalties, a red card, first away point for Mallorca. Uh, Celta Vigo just can't put anyone away, can they? There's lots of games coming round. They think that's the one where they're going to kick on, and they, they never do kick on. Oh, they, they were fantastic. For the first what, half an hour in the game today, totally dominant, and you, you're thinking there's only going to be one winner here. That, that, and actually, Rafinha had his best game for Celta Vigo. He gets the first goal, and you're looking at it and thinking... You know, this is the Celta we expected to see this season. No Denis Suarez, who's not in the squad, so I'm guessing he's injured. Santimino was on the bench. It was Rafinha on one side, Sisto, Bryce Mendes back in. That's quality with Aspas up front. Good players all around. And then they concede the, the, the penalty. Um, Salva Sevilla scores it after 33 minutes. And then we saw the perfect classic example of a team who was were playing well. Um, and the confidence is so fragile. And then from the rest of the game on, it could have gone either way. But for the first half an hour, until that penalty goes in, I thought Celta were going to run away with it 2 or 3 nil. Um, but the mentality at the moment of Celta is where everybody's anxious. It was a, a sparsely filled stadium. The crowd wasn't great. And the anxiety just poured down from the, the, the stands to the players. And it became a struggle again. And... You know, Aspas gets a penalty himself to put them 2-1 up. Mallorca have someone sent off. Rayo sent Antonio Rayo after 78 minutes. And then Budimir gets the equaliser in the 83rd minute. It's just, it's a game that Celtic should have been in control of. They just allowed so much damage to their morale and spirit and their performance on the fact they, they conceded a, relative, well, it was a soft penalty. Um, up and, if they just, you know, if you're winning games... You concede that goal, you go back into the form you were shown in prior to conceding the equaliser and you go on and win the match. But Celta are not in that type of position at the moment where they can, you know, as I said, their confidence is just so fragile. Uh, let's have a look at Espanyol Betis. Another 2-2 draw. Borja Inglesias with a goal uh, against his old club. And, of course, you're not allowed to, to celebrate. Which, as I, I, The reference at the beginning, by the way, was Monreal. 
Um, <laughs> they sort of, and it was weird, wasn't it? They sort of celebrated with a sort of chest bump. Chest but bump. It t- yep. turned out to be a head bump. <laughs> and sort of smashed his head, and so he's sort of, he's sort of breaking again. He's coming away. Looked like he'd been shot, didn't he? Because he's, he's there's big patch of blood right on his solar plexus. So, yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're doing there. Uh, so yeah, Espanol to Betis two uh, with the goal from Borja Iglesias. Why? Uh, why do it's pretty? It's a given now, isn't it? That a, a player that's left the club and goes back and plays gets annihilated by the home supporters. I'm struggling to get my head around this, Benio. We had one season there, scored a bucket load of goals, helped them get into Europe, and they made an absolute fortune on him. Yeah, and yet yeah, from the first yeah, minute yeah. to the last, the, the the boos were raining down. He scores in the third minute of the game, which upset them even more for the rest of the match. Um, to credit to Espanyol, I thought they were terrific today against Betis. Um, fully deserved at least a point. Possibly should have won the game. Um, but it was a it was a it was a good game actually. It was it was end to end stuff, um, as Betis games invariably are. But Sergi Dada got a really good goal, and you know it was it was a. But again, it, it's a draw at home, two one up. Pablo Machine with a nice new coat on and skinny jeans um, gets himself booked. You can see he his frustration was spilling over. It's two it's two points dropped. Yeah. From how yeah, well yeah. they played. The position they were in, um, they they should have won that match today. Betis is always one of those teams. That we, if you ever ask me where Real Betis are in the table, I have to look them up because I can I can yeah. never quite get a handle on how they're doing. Uh, the answer, by the way, because you're all wondering, but everyone is everyone's thinking actually, yeah, I don't know where Betis are on the table. They're twelfth um, yeah. at, at the moment, so that's yeah, well, we'll, let, we'll we'll have a longer discussion about Betis. Got another couple of games to do. Uh, Granada won Levante two good goals in this one as well Terry we, get, we uh, the, the people who don't watch La Liga assume that teams like Granada and Levante uh, are no good but of course that's that's nonsense isn't it they're, they're you know, good mid-table teams at the moment who score good goals and, and Levante came out 2-1 winners yeah uh, Granada should have won Granada were a better team but Rochina and Enes Bardi, Ruben Rochina and Enes Bardi, two goals right out of the top draw. I mean, they're half chances at best. They're outside the penalty area. They have to do, some, do a little bit of skill to, to manipulate the ball, to get it into position where they finish the chance and, and two stunning strikes. Um, so Granada were unlucky. And it was a game that, that, that was in the balance. Um, Darwin Machis comes on and equalised after Rochina put them in. All the action was in the second half, um, but the difference between the two teams and Ennis Bardi's cracking goal came in the 89th minute. So at that stage of the game, both teams were, were sort of looking as if they were quite content with a point each. Um, Granada were making attacking substitutions. Levante were make, doing the opposite. Um, their intention wasn't clear that they were going all out to, to try and win the game. Um, but Bardi gets a chance and, and uh, as I say, two brilliant goals from the Venti. So them get valuable three points against, you know, what's a team that I imagine now is, is going to be rivals. Granada ninth, Levante in 11th, 24 points Granada, 23 points Levante. So two evenly well-matched teams and, and it was a good, good, really good game. Uh, Alaves won, Leganes won. Tainty's derby comes to La Liga. That one, isn't it? Because Braithwaite with the goal <laughs> for Leganes. Excellent oh, Middlesbrough, yeah. of course. Yes, and then Hotelu uh, after a mistake by Cuellar with the equaliser for Alaves. So, uh, who, so who's dropped points there? Leganes. Yeah. Funny enough, because of the position they were in. Yeah. And it looked quite comfortable, actually. And then Alaves, they, they, they did have a go towards the end. And ultimately, it's a decent away point for Leganes against a team who are pretty tough to, to beat in their own stadium. Um, but again, Leganes were playing well. They were threatening the goal. They probably should have wrapped the game up. Rocky Messer in particular had two or three really good chances, of which he didn't even have a shot on. Mm-hmm. I said that right. Yeah. It, you know, shot on. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it a, a, a mispronunciation? Um, he had two or three attempts where he, he should have had taken on the attempt. He tried to be clever. He tried to go around the goalkeeper on one. He tried to beat the last defender on another. And and I think Aguirre had enough and, and hooked him off after of the one of them straight away. Um, so they had chances to wrap the game up, Ligonis, but. Hosselu come up with an equaliser to, to get the point for Alaves. So I think that 
basically, I think that there is, is a couple of points dropped by, from Leganes, who I thought, up until the equaliser from Hosselu, I thought I thought Leganes were going to hold on for the win because I thought they had the, the chances to make it, you know, 2 0 at the very least. So, points dropped, I think, for, for Leganes. So, uh, Leganes and Espanyol have 10 points each, and they're at the bottom. Celta Vigo have 14, and then Mallorca in the first safe place, as it were, uh, 15. And a point above them are Abar. Last game, Terry, you can spend as much time on this as you like. Athletic nil, Abar nil. Do you want to do a break, and we'll come back to it afterwards? <laughs> Preferably next week. <laughs> same, same, same old with Athletic. Um, very few chances created. Most of their play is good. Um, and I have to give credit to Abar. I've been in a bad run of form and, and made life difficult. But I, my worry is it's become a little bit too easy to make life difficult for Athletic Club. Uh, but Bastarby was passionate, enthusiastic. Um, the game deserved a goal, if I'm being honest. But unfortunately, we, we didn't get one, nor did Athletic Bilbao, and, and nor did Abar. Uh, right. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, enjoy the Classico, Terry. There's only one game to watch. One more, you can get through it. Go on, <laughs> a couple of days. You can find some games to watch to bridge you through. And then, uh, yeah, Wednesday night Classico. Don't miss it, everybody. And we'll be back and talking more La Liga very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired fitness celebrity Billy Blanks. Okay, everybody, our car just got a broken windshield. How about we blow off some steam? Now punch, now kick. Uh, Mr. Blanks, there's no need to be stressed. GEICO makes it easy to file a claim online, on the app, or over the phone. Yeah, but what if I never hear back? That's going to make me want to go jab and jab. Uh, nope. Your GEICO claims team is always there for you. Okay, do I still get my post-workout protein shake? Sure, Billy. GEICO, great service without all the drama. 